Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barflow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Now we're going to jump back into our word today, continuing in our series in Luke chapter 9. And, and I know it's the 9 a.m. service, and I, I get it, you know. We, we, we're, about, we're about two coffees in, and that first one still hasn't kicked in. But I'm going to ask you to jump in with me and have fun today. I want you to shout back with me. This conversation that we're having today picks up in Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 51 through 55. This conversation, this part of the journey of Jesus' life and ministry is right after this shift that we discussed, this, this passage of Scripture in which Jesus is not just teaching and healing, but now he's beginning to demonstrate some supernatural power. He's beginning to operate supernaturally with, with, uh, within the spirit realm, and the disciples are starting to see Jesus more clearly every day. And so we pick up in Luke chapter 9, verse 4, 51 through 55, the text, it reads like this. Now, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that's Jesus, and the days near his ascension or the fulfillment of his mission, it says he, that's Jesus, set his face, that means to turn, to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, <clears throat> here we go, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And thankfully, Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village, and the villagers lived to fight another day in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the title of our message today is, is simple, super simple, and I want to make sure that if you're taking notes today, you get this. We're going to talk evangelistically today. We're going to talk about being sent and being on mission today. This is an incredibly practical message. I'm not going to go super deep or super spiritual. This is just about next steps for every believer. The title of our message today is The Purpose of Power, The Purpose of Power. And so here's a big idea. If you're taking notes, see if you can write this down. Let me tell you this. Right now, you have power. I don't want anybody to ever think that as a Christian, they're weak, wimpy, or without power. The truth of the matter is, is that if Jesus has paid the price for your life, you have power, and it's high time that you understood why. You with me? I need you to understand every person in this room that you, according to the power of the Holy Spirit that worketh within you, possess resurrection power, the kind of power that defeats hell and the grave. It's in you, with you, and available to you right now, but if you don't know about it, you won't use it, and if you don't know how to use it, you'll abuse it. Amen. Y'all with me? You ever meet somebody that has, how many of you have ever had a terrible boss? Amen. I can just do an altar call right there. Just don't be that. <laughs> just don't be that. But, oh, isn't it interesting how easily you and I are able to identify the flaws and misuses of power and authority in the lives of others. But when we begin to operate and fully understand the power and authority given to us, we have this blind spot in front of us, and we're so quick and so easy to misuse it. How many of you have ever had the blessed final chance to put somebody in their place? You ever done that? Hands raised. I mean, Cody, you put that hand up high and fast. <laughs> he was like, it was the most. How many of y'all <laughs> have ever put somebody in their place and afterwards, when you were ready to celebrate you, the Holy Spirit began to do that little thing in your heart that was like, hey, bro, that was terrible. You ever had that feeling before? You won the argument. You got the last word. You said all the things you needed to say. You feel big and they feel small. And the Holy Spirit is like, are you happy now? That was terrible. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about how you interact with the people around you, specifically the people who irk you, and talk about why God allows you to be around them and how to do it well. Is that cool? 
This is a relational, practical conversation that I want to make sure that every one of us gets today because, and I'm going to echo the sentiment that I shared with you last week, uh, and, and we'll probably just keep banging this drum for a little bit of a season because I think as a church we're growing and we no longer have to be in a place where we all think about our faith in a personal and private measure. One of the challenges for most Christians today is that they get saved and they come to an understanding of Jesus and he starts working out a wonderful thing in their life and then they just keep it in this box. Oh, I like Jesus and Jesus is doing a new thing, but Jesus better not ask me to tell nobody about this thing. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is already first day asking you to tell people about him. Did you know that? I'm going to beat this drum over and over for the rest of your time at Beacon. You are not on vacation as a Christian. You clocked in the moment you said yes to Jesus. You're on the job. And you're like, well, I'm not very good. Don't worry. Nobody is. This is not a job based on performance. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. This is a job primarily based on attendance. Hey, you ever have one of those classes? We don't grade the homework, just keep showing up. And I'm like, I can get an A in this class. I can show up. That is the gospel through you. You just need to keep showing up and letting the Lord do the work inside of you, but you cannot think that that's someone else's job. There are people around you right now here today. There are people in your family. There are people you sat across from at the Thanksgiving dinner, and those people are your mission. They are not someone else's responsibility. He saved you for them. That's why y'all are looking at each other funny right now, because you're like, no, no, he sent you to save them, not me. No, you. Uniquely you, that's why you're there. That's why you keep getting invited to that function. That's why you have that job. That's why you're in that relationship. That's why you like that coffee shop. Because God's put a birth, birth and yearning in your heart to be there so that he can be there too. So we're going to talk about this from a purely biblical standpoint. I'm not going to give you six trips or strategies on how to be uh, charismatic, how to, how to influence people and win friends. Amen. I'm going to tell you how Jesus tells us to do it. And, thankfully, how the disciples muddle through it so we know what it looks like when Jesus' grace works through us. Check this out. First thing I want you to understand, what we're talking about, the purpose of power, is that you and I both need power for the mission in front of us. Power is an absolutely essential part of the Christian faith. You must be ready to receive God's power because you will need God's power as you step out on mission. I want you to see this in the beginning of this text, verse 51 through 52. Now, when the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to ascend, to die, and then to ascend, he, that's Jesus, had turned his face set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent his messengers. These are his disciples. He sent them ahead of him, and they went into a village of the Samaritans to make preparations or to get supplies for him. First thing I want to tell you about is that Jesus is now officially on mission. Right now, this is the beginning in the Lucian Gospel, the one in which we're studying all of the chapters. Right now in this passage is when Jesus begins to shift his focus directly to the cross. It's as if his heart has changed. He's done the legwork. He started the journey selecting disciples and and going to small villages and teaching in parable and teaching in wisdom and healing those afflicted. He's even begun to operate supernaturally so that people are on the understanding that there's more to this man. He's not just rabbi. He might be. Yes, Peter confirmed he's the chosen one, but he has been in the moment every moment so far. But right here, the Bible says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. This literary device that Luke is using, it's super simple. It means that he turned in spirit. It means that he resolved in soul and in mind and in motion that he was now moving towards the final mission. This is incredibly valuable for each one of us to understand because throughout the rest of this text from Luke 9, verse 51, all the way forward to Luke 19, verse 27, that's the framework through which we must see Jesus' moving and operating. Through the next 10 chapters in this gospel, Jesus is going to be working in the here and now with his eyes on what's to come. It's the same way that Gideon was told by God to select warriors to take over 
the territory inv invaded by the Midianites. Do you know this story? We taught this in the very beginning of our church in Judges 6 and 7. Gideon, a weak man of the smallest half-tribe in a nation oppressed, was called by God to lead. And when he trusted God in faith, 10,000 men joined him in the fight. And God said, <laughs> that's too many. And Gideon's like, there can never be too many for war, bro. I'm going to need more. And God said, no. God walked him through a series of challenges to thin the herd, so to speak. And at the very end, the way in which Gideon's men were whittled down to the ones who mattered most was that God told Gideon to bring the men to the water. And he said, I want you to pay attention to the men who come to the water on all fours and slurp, living just in the here and now, in what they could see and feel in the moment. He says, do you see them? And Gideon says, yes, I see them. And he says, those guys can't go. Why? Well, because they're consumed with what they're experiencing right there in the moment. They're overcome by the here and the now. God says to Gideon, look for the men who come to the water with their eyes turned towards the mission ahead. but taking care of the needs right now. This is Jesus in this moment right here in the next 10 chapters. Jesus is fully present in every moment, but his heart has begun to focus. His soul and spirit have turned towards the things that matter most. Why does this matter? You're gonna need to turn if you really wanna fulfill what God's called you to fulfill. Can I push you right now, right out of the spirit that walked into church today that said, I can't wait to see what the Lord has for me. Can I challenge you today to be the kind of Christian who didn't walk in just to lap at the waters of supernatural change, but to begin to think about what both I need and what the world needs around me. There is a shift that happens in every maturing believer where you stop asking what's in it for me and you start asking, God, what do you want to do through me? Jesus makes a turn. He says, I'm here, I'm working, don't you worry, I got y'all, I'm with you. But I've already begun to make preparations, and I need you to understand this. Jesus knows exactly when that day will come, amen? He knows. And he knows it's 14 months from this day. And for Jesus, that's the perfect amount of time that he needs to begin to focus on what's to come. You and I both have a profound mission in front of us. Remember in weeks past, we talked about the difference between purpose and ministry. We talked about how every one of us is called specifically for a ministry and not just for a worldly purpose. Everyone here in this room is on mission and called to operate on that mission. And I'm going to tell you right now, you will not stumble or fumble your way into it. You have got to, at some point, begin to ask the big questions and turn towards God's call on your life. You with me? I need everyone in this room who calls themselves a believer to begin to ask the question, where would you have me go, Lord? And you're going to need power to do this. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not a question that you can ask of your own volition. You need power to turn. You need Holy Ghost supernatural power to challenge your gimme, gimme nature into a do through me nature that will say, God, what would you have from me? Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. I am here and I am available for you. You need power to turn on the mission. Amen. And so if you're not already fully walking in the purpose that God has called you to, the calling and the ministry that he has anointed and appointed for you, then you need to be praying today, Lord, give me power to turn from what I want into what you want for me. Yeah. That's the shift that begins this whole process. You need power to turn. If you're taking notes, write that one down. Because here's the shift that happens after that. Jesus begins to turn his heart towards Jerusalem. And to start that, he sends disciples ahead to make preparation. 
What I love about Jesus is that Jesus is never on mission alone. Amen? God is never doing something all by himself. Amen? If you read through the text, in every part of the text, whether it's God the Father or Jesus in his earthly ministry or the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, they are never, the three-in-one trinity, are never operating solo. There is never a moment where God is saying, I will do all of the work and none of you have to participate in the journey with me. That never happens. No, our God is a covenant God, a promise-making, promise-keeping, communal God who works with his people because he loves his people. Amen? God's not the kind of leader who just moves along and says, well, y'all better catch up or don't. I don't care. Whatever. Figure it out. No, God says, I'm going this way. And I recognize it will be very difficult for you. In fact, I've already slowed my pace so that you can keep pace with me. In fact, I'm going to propel a few of you to lead the way for a season. It will be even harder for you, but don't you worry, I am with you. In fact, as we go, we will grow because the journey is the joy. It's not just about where we end. It's about how we get there together. That's the nature of our God. And so Jesus begins to set his eyes towards Jerusalem, towards his ascension, and he begins that turn by sending disciples. And they go to a Samaritan town. What I think we should probably talk about before we get to talk about Samaria is the sending. Now, I just told you that every one of you needs to have power from the Holy Spirit to turn towards the mission. Amen. But let's make it clear, that mission needs to be God's mission for your life. Amen. You, I'm going to say this as clear as I can, must, I don't know how much more I clear I can make it, be sent. You must be sent. Now, here's a challenge. I work in church. I'm full-time vocational ministry, and I've been that way for the last seven years. Before that, I was, I was bivocational. I worked in advertising during the daytime, and I did ministry at night, and it's awesome in both seasons. And one of the challenges that I see with people who feel called to ministry is they often want to be employed in ministry. But there is nothing in the Bible about signing up, filling in your, your W-2, and making sure that you also get benefits with the ministry that God's called you to. In the text, there's never employed for God, but there's always and only deployed for God. I want you to see this for a second. Serving the Lord is often like ministry. You come to church, it's boot camp, amen? They got you doing things you weren't ready to do right off the bat. Holy Spirit calls you down to the altar. You're like, for real? And I'm going to cry too? Oh, man. And you're going to do that for a season because the Lord's going to be working into you some new things and working out of you some old things. And then there will come a day where the Lord will call you to a mission field, to a battle line, and he won't discuss with you the compensation package first. Y'all with me? What he will talk about is what he wants to do through you. And the reason is God is looking for people who are on mission and who want to see God's work fulfilled in the earth. The most dangerous person that you will find in ministry is the one who does ministry so they can get paid. Because when the money's funny, they won't do no ministry. Amen. And I don't know if it's God's design, but that might be why pastors are paid <laughs> so little. Because there's something that God's trying to do in the life of people that he's called to ministry to get them out of love with the world, but in love with the world yet to come. And so, so Jesus begins this mission and he sends the disciples ahead of them to make preparations. That's what the text says. It says to make preparations for him. What it really means is to prepare the people whom they are about to meet, to gather supplies for Jesus' arrival, and essentially establish a meeting point for them and Jesus to arrive at. Now, I want you to understand this. Every single one of us has this specific role in our mission. Did you know that? Every one of you will be sent ahead of Jesus at some point in your life to make preparations for Jesus and those who need to meet Jesus. In many ways, you're like an appointment setter for the Lord. Did you know that? You're kind of the cold caller for a sales team. You're like, hey, how are you? My name's Joe. I just wanted to tell you about an amazing opportunity, and Jesus would love to call you back this afternoon. Are you free around four? 
That's kind of you and I's job. And it might seem silly, except that it should take a little of the weight off of you. One of our hardest parts about our relationship with God is we don't want to evangelize because we always think, I'll never know what to say. Do you ever worry about that? What if somebody asks me about Jesus and, and I, I sound like a fool? What, what, if, what if they have questions that I can't answer? What if they say things that really have me questioning my faith? Now, on more than one occasion, Jesus answers that question to the disciples. He says, you just show up and I'll give you the words to say. But here in this moment, before they've gotten to that place, he says, why don't you just show up and make the introduction? And I'm going to tell you this right now. That might be the most effective thing that you've been called to in your life. It's just saying, you should meet Jesus. Man, what's, what's new about you? I noticed over the last six months, you just, you're acting different. You don't drink no more. You don't smoke no more. What's going on with you? Man, you should meet Jesus. I don't understand. Last time I saw you, you were fighting all the time and arguing, and every time you were around, it was unpleasant. But you're like actually nice today. What's going on? You know, you should meet Jesus. That actually is probably the most profound thing that you will do in your ministry is, ready, live a life that prompts the question, what's up? And then you can go, so glad you asked. That's not a conversation of doctrine. That's not you saying, let me lay out the five tenets of Calvinism. Let me lay out the other side of Arminianism. Let me explain to you the Nicene Creed. No, that's, have you noticed life change? Me too. You should meet the Jesus that's done the life change. It's working for me, and I never thought this would work for me. And I'll bet you money it will work for you. But in order for you to do that, you're going to need power to tell people about this. Amen? Truth is, you need power to turn towards the mission, and you need power to tell people about the mission. How many of you have ever been given an opportunity to talk about Jesus and you didn't, and then when you left that room, you were like, ah, oh, I should have talked about, do you ever do that? Has this ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time, and you'd think it would never happen to me. You must think, I walk into a store and I'm like, good afternoon, Jesus is king today and forevermore. No, I'm just like you. I walk into the store and they're like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm really, really good. I got so awkward. What's the deal? And they're like, I've just been having a tough time. And I'm like, sorry to hear that. And then I get to the car and I'm like, for real? <laughs> I didn't say nothing about you. And I've walked back into a few supermarkets before and be like, I'm sorry I didn't say this, but I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and he's praying for you. And I'm sorry, ma'am, you're next. Don't just wait one second. And I want to, I want to lay my hands. I want to pray for you. And, you know, they're calling the manager already because I missed the moment. But don't you miss the moment. I'm telling you right now, most of us just need to take the moment. And the moment is spurred by your living. Can I tell you that? You, 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 just, you just need to, you need power to be on the mission so that you can have the question, God, give me power to tell people about my mission but the Lord's got to be doing a work in your heart because you can't be sitting at Christmas dinner no different than you just were at Thanksgiving dinner, all cranky and rude. And be like, you should come to my church. For the love of God and Beacon, please don't do that. No, you need to let the Lord begin this work in your heart, power for the mission, so that when the moment comes, power to tell them about the mission. You all with me? So Jesus is on mission sets his heart towards what to come, and he deploys these disciples to go to Samaria to begin to make preparations to tell people, Jesus is coming. You're going to get to meet him. But there's a shift here. Verse 53, it says, uh, but the people, the people in the Samaritan village, did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them. Here's what I want you to understand. Yes, you need power for the mission, and the mission is people. So let's put a fine point on it. You need power for the people. Don't you wish that the Christian faith could just all be like no interaction, just good old-fashioned introvert living and never having to run into conflict or people that didn't like you? Do you ever wish that? Yeah, wouldn't it be great to just be in a world where, like, you never had to run into other humans? <laughs> That's not the way that it works, though. Amen. You and I are called, we're humans, to walk alongside other humans. And if you're really honest about yourself, you're 
quite the human. Amen. And so are they. And it stands to reason that many times, especially when you're talking about big spiritual things like the God of the universe and how we're all called to be reconciled with him, not everybody's going to like the conversation. Amen. That's why they say, you know what you don't talk about at holiday gatherings? They talk about, you don't talk about politics and religion. And I got to be honest with you, I agree with the first one, but there ain't nothing more important than talking about the second one. Because I don't want to go to another family dinner and know that you and I are going different directions. If I love you, I want you with me. Amen? And so here's the thing. You need power for people. You need power to, to relate to people and to resist the urge to be mean to people. So let's look at this conflict for just a second. The Bible says that Jesus tells the disciples to go ahead. He calls them messengers to carry his message ahead of him to this village, this Samaritan village. And you need to understand why this is important. You see, the people who are Hebrew, those the chosen from which Jesus has come, and the Samaritans have been in an ongoing religious and cultural conflict for time immemorial. In fact... God's chosen people, the Hebrews, and the Samaritans have essentially agreed to disagree. They've agreed not to even take part in one another's lives. They've lived an entirely separate but equal existence. That's why whenever there's a story here in our Bible told through the lens of the Jewish people about the Samaritans, it's of remark, it's of note, it's important to pay attention to. There's this moment where the disciples are sent to a Samaritan village. Then there's the moment where Jesus meets the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan, confused at why a Jew would talk to her. There's also the conversation about the good Samaritan. You know that story. The reason that that matters not just to us but to the Jews originally told to is there's no possible way they would have ever seen the Samaritan is good. That's also why it's very interesting in the Great Commission when Jesus sends the people to all nations, he also means Samaria. That's why in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's incredibly important that you understand that when Jesus sends these disciples to this place, they don't want to go. So if you don't know the context, you'll miss the fact that they're, they're pissed walking over to this place. Can I just, is it cool at 9 a.m. just be regular people? It doesn't say it, but you need to understand. Jesus says, hey, fellas, come here. And they're like, yes, Jesus. And he says, the time has come for me to begin the journey to Jerusalem. All right. We're with you. And he says, I'm going to need you to go ahead of me to the town Nearby, I need you to make preparations, start to gather the supplies. I need you to uh, get, get a place ready for us to stay for the night and begin to communicate to the people who we are and what we're doing. Okay, where would you like us to go? Well, just over the hill, there's a Samaritan village. And that's, that's where I want to start this journey. And in this moment, these disciples would have likely not been arguing who's the greatest as they did last week, but who has to go. No, 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 I'm not. There's no way. Bro, do you remember last week when I got in a fight with that Samaritan? I'm not doing that again. This would have been the conversation. And here's why. This cultural and religious conflict between these groups of people is actually, it's actually predicated on, on a on a very specific difference between the way in which they believe. In many ways, their culture is ancient Semitic. They share a common language and a common ancestor. They share a common practice, but they disagree on one very specific thing, and that's the place of final worship. You see, the Jews, the Hebrews, believed that, they, that the, the place where in which God would reside, where they were rightly supposed to worship, was Jerusalem. The Bible says Jesus begins to set his face towards Jerusalem, but the Samaritans don't believe in that. They, they believe in nearly everything else and share nearly everything else in common, but they believe that the place of final worship is not Jerusalem, but it is in fact Mount Gerizim. It's another place altogether. Everything else the same, except for that the final place in which they worship is different, and as a result, that minute difference has caused a schism that says, you aren't like me, and I am not like you, and the two shall never agree. Have you seen a parallel like this in our world? We're nearly the same in every way, but my guy is going to make America great again, and your guy is asleep. 
No, my guy is a moderate who works across the aisle and gets things done. And yours is a terrible person. Do you, do you want this? Yes. Do you want this? Yes. Do you believe in this? Yes. Do you believe in this? Yes. But my guy, my guy, well, then we'll never talk again. Have you seen this in your own life? One minute detail causes a schism that cancels out everything that's shared. And this conflict has existed for ages. And so Jesus says, go to the Samaritans. And Peter's like, not it. And John's like, no way, man, I can't go either. I'm young. They'll beat me up. But two men definitely do go. The Bible says it's James and John. Two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, whose mother asks for a special place near the throne of Jesus at the day of his reward. Two brothers whom Jesus calls the sons of thunder. Of course they go. Two guys in the faith who trust Jesus and ain't a scared of nothing. Amen. Right? The Bible says they go. But here's the challenge. They go to a place where there is disagreement. Amen? And at some point, these two sons of thunder must have asked the Lord for the peace and the patience necessary to walk into that room. Have you ever had a room where you knew it was going to be a little bit of chaos, and before you entered the room, you did that little private pep talk? You've ever done this before? Okay. <laughs> Maybe you're proper. Lord, give me a tender heart to recognize the need in the room. Help me to be ambassador of your love. Maybe you're a little bit more like me. Just help me not to punch anything. Amen. Or kick at some point, they ask for the power from God to relate to people with whom they have inevitable conflict. You need that very same power. Because God is going to send you to some people, ready, that you don't like. In fact, <laughs> I guarantee it. I guarantee at some point in your journey with Jesus, he is going to make a clear direction for you, a clear pull on your heart that says, I need you to embrace them, forgive them, love them, lead them, hold them, walk with them, and do it for as long as it takes. And you'll say, but I don't like them. And Jesus will say, I don't care. You need power to relate to some people that don't like you. Can we say this? As a Christian, you are not allowed to stay in conflict and go, fine, I'll just hate them and they can hate me. That's not who we are in Jesus' name. So I want you to right now, you should already be doing it in your head, thinking about all the people that you've already promised yourself you'll never reconcile with and never forgive and never talk to, all of the people that you built a wall around and set aside, all the people that you used common phrase today that you cut off. Well, you better start tying that knot again. Because the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. The gospel is one that crosses over every man-made barrier, no matter how deep the divide, so that those who are far from God can be close to God. Y'all with me? And it still doesn't always go as planned. Notice this. They have the power to go. And then when the Samaritans... As Samaritans are oft to do in this season of life, they reject Jesus. Now, why do they reject Jesus? Do they reject Jesus because he's a Jew? Yes, probably. Do they reject Jesus because they haven't been given Jesus first? Sure. Do they reject Jesus because the sons of thunder are the one who came as ambassadors? Probably, because if you've ever met some Christians, you're like, no way, I don't want to go to that church. Probably. But here's the most important part. Remember, we talked about that schism between Hebrews and Samaritans, about the place of religion. The Bible says right here, the people did not receive him, they rejected him, because his face was turned towards Jerusalem. They themselves allowed this one schism to reject the Messiah that had come their way. This is important for you and I to understand because this world in which we live will lovely and welcomely and happily say, I do like Jesus, but they'll talk about his, uh, his teachings. I meet people all the time that are not believers, but they're like, that Sermon on the Mount stuff is pretty awesome. I love the way that he loved people. I'll meet people all the time who will take just one aspect of Jesus' life. He loved everybody, and they'll leave out everything else. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that 
You can't cherry pick the parts of Jesus you like and reject the rest. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but my me. He referred to himself as the Son of Man, which meant that he was God in the flesh. And if those two things are true, then yes, he is love. And when he speaks on sin, it's also true. He was either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. But he can't be Lord in some areas and a liar in others. Y'all with me? And this world will say, I love everything about Jesus. It's so cool. He was a great man with great teachings and a wonderful example. Well, he said the wages of sin are death. Do you believe in that? No. Then you don't get to call him a good man because he wasn't good man. He was God, man. He was all God. And everything that he said was true. And so here's the deal. He sends his disciples to Samaria and they reject him because he won't conform to whom they want him to be. They would have welcomely said, Jesus, come on. Do you believe in worshiping in Matt Gerizim? If he would have said yes, they would have said, then you can be our Messiah too. But our God is not looking for gatekeepers for him to be Lord. He's Lord all by himself. This isn't a he plays my game. This is I follow him. And the moment that they do this, James and John suddenly recognize the power they have. Do you remember that these are the same disciples that when the man with this boy with the unclean spirit, he had brought that boy to these disciples and they could not pray out the demon. Do you remember? We talked about that a couple weeks. Simple prayer, simple prayer, simple prayer. They didn't have the power to do it, right? But the moment they get mad at some people, suddenly they realize how powerful they are. I don't understand what it is about anger, but anger can tap into some strength that you didn't know you had. Did you know that? My sons play football, and I watch these guys get themselves all fired up for the game, and they just insult each other, and I'm so offended. But then they get fired up, and they play strong. Anger has this amazing way of taking you from weak, feeble, and frail to strong, angry, wrathful, and powerful. That's why the Bible says, be angry, but sin not. These guys who don't understand the power they have to help people suddenly get offended by people, and they enact their power to hurt people. It's as if they think that they're in the days of Elijah when they call down fire and eliminate all of the apostates as a judgment for sin. It's as if they think they're in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. They would burn up entire cities to punish them. Forget the fact that there might still be some people in this Samaritan village who might think that Jesus is real. No, James and John don't care about any of that. Their first desire is, I think we might have power. Let's kill them all. That's rough. And yet I know that you and I can see parallels in the cultures in which we live where some of the most Christian of Christians use language that's so mean and hurtful. Because if they're not like us, then let's kill them all. You're going to need power to relate to people who are different than you. Amen? You're also going to need power to reject the human tendency to hurt people. You're going to have to ask God for two kinds of power when you're working with people. Lord, help me to be kind and also help me not to be mean. Do you know that there's a difference between the two? Amen? Like, you can be kind and then also on the back end a little passive aggressive. Oh, I found out that you were a sinner. Shame. I guess I'll lead you to Jesus. That's not helpful. Come on. You need power to be normal and to be kind and to relate, but you also need power not to act out of your flesh when people reject you because they will reject you no matter how nice you are. You can go to your family, to your work, to your club, to the coffee shop and be sweet as a dove and live in absolute righteousness and kindness and be so attractional in your living and in your faith that there's no way they won't ask you about Jesus. And then the moment they ask you and you say it's Jesus and they will turn on you in an instant. You don't just need power to be nice. You need power to say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'll be back tomorrow. You need power to resist that. Amen. I want, to, I want to touch on this turn for just a second here at the end. Let's recap. You're going to need power to turn to mission. 
Every one of us here today needs power today to turn away from the life we've lived towards the life God's called us to. Two, every one of us needs power to tell people that testimony that God is working in your life, the power to begin to articulate and narrate the journey that you're on to other people. You're going to need power to relate to people and power to resist hurting people. Amen? Those are the powers that you need, but you also are going to have supernatural power in Jesus' name, and you need to know why? I want you to see this. Right at the end of verse 54 and 55, it says that before James and John talked about this fire they wanted to call down, they didn't do it. It says when James and John saw this, they said, ready? Here it is. Lord, is this what you want? Oh, thank God. Amen. Thank God they started this with not, Lord, we burned them all up. Oh, hey, is that what you were hoping for? No, they begin the conversation by asking, what's the purpose of this power? We sense that there's Holy Spirit power on us. We sense that we're on mission. We sense that this is a new season in our life where we're doing great and mighty things. I sense that you've got me on mission. What am I supposed to do and how do I do it right? I said, Lord, should we? Now, I want to touch this for just a second. It is so good that finally these disciples have come to an awareness that they have power. This whole teaching could have been right here. You have got to know just how powerful you are. Oh, pastor, you don't understand. I've been struggling with the same thing forever. No, you've been choosing the same thing forever. I know, I know. I know you don't want to hear that. I know we, we never want to hear that. No, no, you don't understand. It's like I can't get away from this diction. Yes, you can, but you keep walking away and returning. I'm telling you right now, for those who are in Christ Jesus, we have power over sin. It's written in the text, for I am no longer a slave to sin. You are not in bondage anymore. You have power over sin and the grave. And the same Jesus who died and rose again, the same spirit that was in that dwells in you. And so whatever you face, you have power over it. You're both victorious and the Bible says more than an overcomer. Which means that no matter what plagues you today, it can die today. I can't let you leave this room without knowing that the faithful and effective prayers of a righteous believer avail much It's good for these two boys to know, <laughs> I think we could call down fire. You, you know what's even better, that they understand that they have power? It's actually great that they have power and great that they have this fierce loyalty to Jesus. I want you to see the marrow in all of this, right? They trust Jesus to go to a place they don't want to go to, amen? And they go to a place they don't want to go to around people they don't want to be like, and they begin to do the work. It doesn't say they show up and said nothing. No, they made preparations for Jesus. They said, Jesus is coming. And the Samaritans were like, what are you doing here? He sent us. I don't want to be here either, but I'm here to love you. So here's the deal. Jesus is coming. And then they rejected him. And the rejection of Jesus hurt his disciples just as it should hurt you. It's good that they have a fierce loyalty to Jesus. It's good that they want to defend him. It's good that they're, mar they're married to him. They're marked by him. And so when others turn from him, it grieves their spirit. You should have the same burning passion for those who are turned from God, a same desire to see the lost brought home. It's good they know they have power. Good they love Jesus. But best of all, it's phenomenal that they only want to do what Jesus wants them to do. That's it. That's the best part about this, is that before they go and burn everything, they say, is this what you want? Because they've just recognized they have power, and that power comes from Jesus. And then check this out. Verse 55. But he, that's Jesus, turned and rebuked them. Notice, we talked about the beginning of this passage where Jesus turned towards Jerusalem. Remember, we talked about that. He had set his spirit towards the mission at hand. And then 
when the disciples make the mistake of wanting to act outside of the spirit, the Bible says that Jesus turns back to them. This is that living in the here and now and what's to come at the same time. He is both still on mission and the people are the mission. So it's not a distraction. It's not a diversion. Jesus isn't frustrated to engage in this. The Bible says he turns to them and rebukes them. Now, you and I hate rebuke. Amen? How many of you love to be in trouble? Nobody. How many of you like it when Jesus tells you no? Nobody. Except the longer you walk with Jesus, the more deeply you fall in love with Jesus' correction in your life. That's why the psalmist said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that God corrects those whom he loves. And here's what Jesus is doing. It's really great that you guys know that you have power. (laughs) but not that. And actually, it's really great that you guys are doing things that I know you don't want to do because you trust me. But we're no longer in the age of wrath and judgment. You see, Matthew 5 tells us that this is the epic of grace. Luke 2 tells us that this is the season of peace. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I love that you've tapped into what you can do, but I want you to remember the purpose behind what you can do. We are not here to set people in their place, not here to condemn, not here to hurt. Jesus says, I do not condemn you. You better hear this in your spirit today. He says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The Holy Spirit does the work of conviction. Our job is to invite people into the relationship. They, They might know him, might love him, might encounter him in a new and tangible way. Here's the real deal. You have power. Hand in the air. Put your hand of strength in the air. Everybody in the room, I want you to say this with me. I have Holy Spirit, resurrection, bondage breaking, sin defeating, power. Amen? You have to know that. Because here's the challenge. Most of us don't know that we have power. And so we operate in a desperate place where we're oftentimes trying to win arguments and defeat people. But when you know you have power, you operate from a victor's place where you recognize you're called to win souls and defeat the enemy. Hear me, we're in a fight, amen? But they are not the fight, they are the prize. And God is going to send you to some places that you are sure is a fight, amen? Let me show you one last thing. Ben, you guys can come up. We're going to worship just a little bit. I want you to see one super interesting part about this journey, and then I'm going to challenge every one of us to ask of the Lord something big. Jesus sends the disciples where? To a Samaritan village to make preparations for him. Yes? And they do it. Yes? And they most assuredly didn't enjoy it. But they still did it. And it stands to reason that Jesus didn't just send them to a place that was challenging for them. Jesus didn't just send them to a place where it was birthed out of conflict and uncomfortable. Jesus sent them to a place that he would one day send them to again. Remember we talked about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. He says, I confirm all of my power. Jesus says, all authority in heaven has been given unto me. And I am commissioning you to go out into all of the world, all nations, to make disciples. And when Jesus makes this command at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he's telling this to the disciples who stand ready to fulfill his mission. And the first nation of all nations that he's called them to would have been the nation over the next till the nation of Samaria. And later in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus says, Now all authority I give unto you, and you will be my witnesses. We talked about this. In Jerusalem, in Judea, yes, in Samaria, and the ends of the world. You see, if Jesus hadn't sent them to this village first, when he had called them to this village later, they would have found any reason not to go. But Jesus sends them to a difficult place early, to prepare not just a place for him, but to prepare 
them for where they are to return. Oh, I wish I, you could see this in your sanctified imagination. Imagine that James and John later are going back to a place called Samaria where all the other disciples are like, I'm never going to go. And James and John are like, we've, we've been there, bro. They're not as bad as we thought. In fact, they need Jesus just like us. You see, something happens in your heart when you're around people that are different from you. Amen? You see, when you never get across the aisle and everybody's different, is vilified, then it's easy for you to live in your silo and think they're bad and you're good. But Jesus sends these disciples to a place that was caused by division, and yet he pushes them through the division so that they're familiar. I can imagine in my mind that in the book of Acts, when James and John were to walk into a Samaritan village, they would have said, hey, James, hey, John. A conversation that would have never occurred had they not already been sent. So here's your challenge. You have power to lead people to Jesus. And he is going to send you to people who need Jesus. Some of these times are going to be hard and some of those hearts will be equally hard. But he will send you there again and again because he loves them and he's chosen you to love them through. Amen? I need you to think about every person in your life, every group, every scenario, every everyone who's ever hurt you. And I need you to cancel the idea that you're done with them because Jesus may not be done with them. Would you stand to your feet? Today, every one of us needs power from the Holy Spirit to be good and fulfilling the mission that God's called us to. We're going to worship for just a moment. I want to challenge you to ask the Lord during this time of worship today, Lord, give me power for this person and that person, for this conversation and for that day and age. God, give me power to lead them to you. Amen. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text BEACON to 97000. Once again, text BEACON to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!